Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight incredible women in STEM and discover who they are at home, at work, and everywhere in between. You can find all of our episodes online at podcast.swe.org or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Hello, I'm your host, Sam East, and welcome to Diverse, a sweet podcast. On today's episode, I am so thrilled to be joined by Tanya Geisler. Tanya is a certified leadership coach, TEDx women speaker, and writer who focuses on teaching high-performing leaders how to combat what she calls the imposter complex. Tanya, we are so thrilled to have you here today to help our audience of women in engineering break through imposter complex, gain more confidence, and make an even greater impact in the world of STEM. Welcome. Oh my goodness. I am so delighted to be here. I've been getting to do work with SWE for coming up on a decade, and I just absolutely wow. love every single touch point I have with this incredible organization, and I'm so delighted to be here with you today, Sam. Yeah, we're, we're really excited to jump right into this with you. I mean, right away, when you hear imposter syndrome, which is different from what you're saying, but you hear imposter syndrome on social media, whenever sweet posts about that, it's clear that this is something that resonates with a lot of people in this industry. It hits home for a lot of women in STEM and engineering. So yeah. l- let's take it back to why you call it imposter complex instead of imposter syndrome. So let me just start by saying my SEO people get so mad at me. <laughs> I insist on <upon laughs> calling it imposter complex because of course everybody is looking for imposter syndrome. Mm. But the reason I I don't use the word syndrome is that's a, a medical term. And I'm mm. I'm not a fan of co-opting medical terms. And it's not really calling it a syndrome suggests a clinical diagnosis. And that's not this. So when Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes named this experience as imposter phenomenon back in 78, they were talking about it really, again, as more of an experience, as a phenomenon, as a, as a thing that happens to high-functioning, high-achieving people with strong values of integrity and excellence and proficiency. And when mm-hmm. we pathologize it or when we give it a medical term, it makes it sound like there's something wrong with you, you know, finger mm-hmm something wrong with you. And that's not this. This is just a a very fundamentally human, largely conditioned experience that so many of us have. So my job is to kind of dial down some of the adjective that we have around it. So play identity imposter syndrome (laughs) and call it a complex. Uh, I don't know what Carl Jung would have to say about it being called a complex, but (laughs) I also like that it's a little subtle reminder that it's really it is a complex experience as well. And yeah. that uh, is a nice little reminder. Oh, you so beautifully explained that. I mean, just hearing you talk about it, I'm nodding along aggressively to so much of what you're saying. But <laughs> in your experience, how does imposter complex typically start? How does it manifest? What have you noticed from your work? Oh, boy. Okay. Well, so it, it's important to know that I've been working on this since, oh boy, 2012, really professionally, but in my Mm. whole life (laughs) for 50 years. Mm. So what I know to be true is that this experience, you know, again, it affects folks with high, you know, gorgeous values of integrity and excellence and proficiency. 
And we also know that it that it affects people when they are on the precipice of something new, when they're ah. on the precipice of expansion, right? When they mm-hmm. are we when they're stepping into the new. So as long as we are stepping into something that is bigger, more audacious than we've ever experienced before, that's what it's going to show up. And it really tries to well, let me back up for a second and just so people can really get what this is about. Paul, Clance and Imes, the clinical psychologist who, who coined the term back in the day, they were looking at high-functioning, high-achieving women at Oberlin mm. College, and they noticed this through line of their experience, that it didn't matter how successful these women were, they would chalk up their successes to luck, fluke, timing, or having somehow managed to convince people they're smarter, more capable than they actually were. Their failures, on the other hand, they were more than able to internalize. And that was, that's sort of the characteristic of the imposter complex. We over-identify oh. with our failures and we under-identify with our successes. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh my God, this is hitting so hard. <laughs> yeah. So in places where we are going to feel underrepresented, right, where, we, where we're not seeing people that look like us. Mm. Uh, we're going to have an exacerbated sense of this experience. It affects everybody, but it's going to disproportionately affect people who are not part of the majority, shall we say. Yep. Okay. Mm. So think about, for instance, with permission, my husband, Greg, Mm -hmm. bless him. He's a white, neurotypical, able-bodied dude of middle-class means living in North North America. There's privilege there in that. Right. Yeah. like the world is kind of like he, he knows that mm-hmm. it's sort of designed around him. So for right. every centric circle, we are distanced from his lived experience. We're going to have an exacerbated sense of it. So by gender, by race, by neurotypicality. Mm. So, you know, we talk about it being a very gendered experience to be certain. Yeah. And there are all sorts of other different intersections. So I was, think it's important for me to name, you know, I'm talking about this from my lived experience as a white neurotypical woman of middle class means living in North America. So I'm not, Mm. I don't know. I can't speak to everybody else's experience, but I can Mm. talk about it, you know, from my lived experience Mm -hmm. and the experience of my client. And typically this is what's happening. They are over-identifying with their failures and under-identifying with their successes, chalking all of those up to external factors. So what I'm hearing from you is if there may be a core sense from a person of feeling othered, that can often manifest into feeling like an imposter. Sure. Yeah. Because the really our most basic fundamental desire, I might be overstating that a little bit, but one of our most basic fundamental desires is to belong. We are tribal, right? We are like we are, we, we, so how we are fitting in to the to the collective mm-hmm. is kind of everything. So the imposter complex actually creates this binary where we don't want to be too successful. Oh gosh. Right? Because then we'll be other, we'll be out in front, or we certainly don't want to be too far behind. So this we have this the fear of failure and fear of success is mm. very similar because either mm. way. We are going to be other. We are going to be different and distinct from the pack. Yeah. And in your experience, you said you've been working with SWE now for about a decade at this point. Mm -hmm. Engineering, STEM can be highly competitive. 
You got to be a high achiever. And that's not just when you get into the workforce, but that is when you decide you even want to pursue this, getting into the right school, your grades have to be on top. And then, you know, compounding with the fact that you're a woman, perhaps you're a woman of color. And so all the themes that you talked about there, do you feel that that even heightens the imposter complex more? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And then even by by virtue of the fact, you know, so again, folks who experience imposter complex are folks with strong values of excellence, proficiency, mm-hmm. and, right? And, right? And so, and integrity. And so that's, the those are engineers. So there's already this predisposition to have this experience, you know, want to be the best, do the best, be received it, like all of that, that it's all very fertile ground for, for yeah. this lived experience. And it, it, will try to keep you out of action. It will try to keep you alone and isolated and it will try to have you doubt your capacity. That's really the, the, the that's the way it works. So yeah. trying to keep you out of action, doubting your capacity and alone and isolated. And anecdotally, of course, I don't have the, the research that you have to back this up, but anecdotally, I think any pep talk conversation I've ever had about this has always been with a fellow woman. Do you find that too in in your work? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there was a really interesting, um, I have to say there was a really interesting experience. I I spoke at SWE's conference in Philadelphia and I can't remember Mm -hmm. the year now. It was a while ago. It was pre pandemic, Ah. Um, but it was, oh my gosh, it was such an incredible experience, but we did, uh, you know, I spoke with the organizers and we did a, part of a thought experiment where I, I have a real, you know, let's just call it imposter complex 101. Like it's just a really baseline. Mm. Here's what this is. Here are a couple of strategies that you can employ to, you know, to navigate it. It's never really about fully overcoming it. It's a bit more about navigating it mm-hmm. and having a faster recovery when it shows up. So I decided to do the same, the basically the same framework for the collegiate group, as mm-hmm. well as a group of senior managers. So we've okay. got, you know, VPs and Google kind of thing. So very different groups and different places in their career, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, the talks went both beautifully, if I do say so myself. Uh, <laughs> but the one part that was very poignant for me. So, sorry, I, I mentioned that if the imposter complex wants to keep us out of action, doubting our capacity and alone and isolated, the three main strategies are going to speak specifically into those, into those objectives. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I can get into that a little bit more, but let me just speak to the final point. The final point being, if it wants to keep you alone and isolated, your job is to actually name it and do exactly what you said, which is have conversations with mm-hmm. other people who have had this experience, mm-hmm. uh, people who are you know farther along than you, people who are at the same place as you, right? Just making mm-hmm. sure that you are having this conversation so that we can normalize this experience for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, you can't, any single person, if you talk to anybody who has any proficiency with the imposter complex at all, that's the thing they will always say. Talking about it is the, the most it is the quickest go-to hack that I have. Naming it, understanding what's going on, sharing it with somebody else, hearing their experiences, all of that. Mm. So when I named this for the collegiates and I said it you know, in slightly different language, almost immediately there was a 
as a speaker, you can kind of tell when something is when when something has sort of shut down a bit of the the flow. And me talking about this, I could almost feel the energetic arms crossing ah. of nope, I can't trust anyone else around me. Mm. Right. And then the the, the shame and mm. all the other feelings associated with this just continue. They almost get amplified when you when you keep it in silence. Yep. And you feel so isolated and you feel I'm the only one. And yeah. I mean, it's, it was, it, it was excori- like, just honestly, it felt a little excoriating <laughs> to, to experience that. I just thought, oh boy, this is, this is some heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. So, which is part mm-hmm. of the reason I love sweep for continuing to have these conversations and to open them up and say like, let's, let's really talk about this. So later that afternoon, I did the same talk with the C-suite women. Mm-hmm. And we've got to this point, they're like, oh, please, of course. I would be literally nowhere if I didn't seek out, actively seek out these conversations, actively seek out mentorship, actively seek out you know, sponsorship, actively have these conversations. I would be absolutely nowhere if I didn't mm. have other people to talk this through with. Yeah. Like it was an absolute, like, nope, this is, the, you You are absolutely 100% right. So we have to, have to, have to talk about this. So then there was a bit of conversation about how do we, how do we bridge that? How do we bridge <laughs> folks over to the collegiate? Mm. Um, so yeah, so it, you are absolutely right talking about it. And I mean, we're, we're listening to this. Someone may be going through the imposter complex, nodding oh. along aggressively as well, really resonating with this. What then is the best way to tackle and eventually combat imposter complex because i would imagine it would come up yes during those key moments where like you said you have the audacity to step into that bigger role but it ebbs and flows throughout your career progression yeah so there are two different ways that i can answer this and we'll get both roads will lead us back to where we need to go i think it's important that we name that the no one wants to feel like the imposter so we actually go to specific coping mechanisms to avoid feeling like that So those are procrastination, hi, perfectionism, <laughs> hi, <laughs> comparison, mm. diminishment, people pleasing, and leaky boundaries. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. So what's the antidote here to, to so all these those all, things? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's all of them, right? Well, yeah. So first of all, not everything. I used to th- see everything as the imposter complex. I know. I now know that that's not necessarily true. So, but if you tend to be a people pleaser, you can see the way that trying to use your charm and likability will, you think it's going to insulate you from feeling like the imposter. But then, so each of these are kind of double-edged swords too, because if I tend to be a people pleaser and I get given opportunities, I might chalk it up to the fact that they like me and not mm-hmm. because I'm deeply skilled and excellent at what I do. So that exacerbates my sense of imposterhood, right? Mm -hmm. So each one of these is the same way. So I go to this behavior because I don't want to feel like the imposter, but then hanging out in that behavior actually makes me feel more like the imposter, Mm -hmm. which is, that's part of the complexity of what 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 I talk about. So I think it's important for us to understand, first of all, what our natural set points are, where we are, you know, when we tend to what our coping mechanism is to avoid feeling like it. So if we think mm-hmm. that, oh boy, if I'm just if I'm just really perfect at absolutely everything that I do, then no one's going to find out that I don't belong here. Oi. 
Right. It feels like a losing battle. <laughs> Absolutely. Because then you look up and you're like, I, I, why do I have to work so much harder than anybody else? Surely yeah. I don't actually belong here, which is what most of those collegiates are feeling. You know, so it's that's the, the chronic nature of it. So it's, mm. it's helpful to recognize, first of all, which one of those coping mechanisms you go to. Mm-hmm. And then, and this is the real hard part for most listeners here, stop making yourself wrong for that. Mm. Stop making yourself wrong for having a perfectionist tendency. Stop making yourself wrong for being a people pleaser, for comparing. All of these hold what I call a golden shadow. And I think that we have done such a hack job in the self-development space, making people feel so terribly about themselves. This is a $42 billion industry. That is a lot of money invested in making sure that people feel lousy about themselves. So I like to do it a little bit differently and say, hey, yeah, you might be a perfectionist because, yeah, that's a characteristic of white supremacy culture. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Also characteristic of patriarchy. Yes. (laughs) Also, it's how you were prized. This is how you were praised when you were growing up. That's that was the expectation. So can we make ourselves be a little less wrong about that and say, hey, hot diggity dog, I have an extraordinary value of excellence. Look at me go. Yes. And if you are a people pleaser, hey, maybe that simply means that you have a gorgeous value of inclusivity. Mm. What if your leaky boundaries just meant that you were deeply generous, that your chronic comparison simply meant that you were yearning for connection, that even your you know procrastination just meant that you had a value of discernment and that your Mm. diminishment, when you tend to diminish yourself, it's because you have the value of humility. And when I look at that value set, connection, inclusivity, excellence, discernment. That's the kind of leadership model that I am interested in. So maybe mm. we stop making ourselves wrong for these yeah. behaviors and look for ways to we, that we can recognize that they are absolutely our strength and be mindful when these coping mechanisms keep us out of action, doubting yeah. our capacity and alone and isolated. Yeah, that reframing is so necessary. And, and to sort of add to your point of looking at the systems in which we have been raised in where all the messaging around us whatever industry you're in is telling you that you are at a deficit and you need to do more and be more and acquire more and it's a endless loop of that of that approach yeah yeah i also think that you know it's really there's an incredibly seminal article written in the Harvard Business Review, I think it was back in 2021. It's called Stop Telling Women That They Have Imposter Syndrome. And it's a really important piece because uh, it's by Ruchika Tulshian and Jody Ansbury, I believe. I might have the pronunciation of Bury wrong. And they were writing about how using imposter syndrome. So again, stop telling women they have imposter syndrome completely here for it. Because I I do think that this is a way that it's looking at a sort of systemic inequality mm-hmm. and then turning it into an individual problem, right? So so the way they, they name it, imposter syndrome directs our view towards fixing women instead of fixing the places where women work. Oh, snaps for that. Right? Snaps for that. And as women, I mean, perhaps you're seeing it in your work too, is we we often take the fall for it. We take the blame. Yep. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. You know, and, and I and I say this all the time, being in spaces where your competence is underestimated is yeah. not 
the same as feeling your competence has been overestimated, mm. that it's not the same thing. So again, this is complex, but it doesn't mean that, and it doesn't mean that the imposter complex isn't happening. You know, we, we see it ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, you know, every time, again, we're at the, at the precipice of something new, we have this experience, like I'm only here because X, Y, and Z, but that doesn't change the fact that we do need our systems, our structures to, to provide us the institutional ground cover. You know, this is one of the first things I do when I come in and, and when I'm invited to speak anywhere, I'll say, you know, is this, are your people experience imposter complex? Or are there are they bringing forth their best ideas and you are shutting them down? Yep. Right? Because like that's just called gaslighting. Then if you're saying you're yes. saying bring your best ideas, stop you know stop hedging on your best ideas. But we're not going to actually use them. But now we're going to make this a you problem. I'm not here for that. Mm, this is yeah. The system needs to be looked at. It's a collective problem that we're a part of. Amen. So. Women engineers, sometimes the sort of outliers at the table. I mean, a whole part of this podcast that we do, the conversations that we have is highlighting and propping up these women. So, you know, one day that isn't the case where it's not a few women at the table, but that lends itself to a great pressure to prove themselves in the workplace. How can recognizing and addressing, acknowledging the imposter complex help women step into their power as leaders? So many good layers in here. There are a couple of sort of blanket statements that I have, and then a little more discerning, more discernment. It's an individual pursuit. So again, if you have a sense of which one of your coping mechanisms you tend to go to, or you tend to hide out in, or you tend to Maybe not even hide out, but you like tend to go to, you will find yourself opting for the people pleasing route. Mm. Recognizing that you have this value of inclusivity might actually be your leadership edge. So maybe gathering people becomes something that actually becomes, that, that's, that is where your power lives. And so I talk about the, these different iconic identities. So I talk about people being iconic because you can't spell iconic without IC twice you get see at the front end and oh it gets, yeah, right? i love that uh, i love that <laughs> um so you know so if you tend to be somebody who's a people pleaser you know your leadership edge could be that and being the host right you gather people really beautifully so there are discerning ways and you can do there's a quiz on my site that can help you discern which one is the the most likely iconic identity for you but i think that when it at the most basic most simple way that i can break this down is to say once again, if the imposter complex wants to keep you out of action, doubting your capacity and alone and isolated, then our strategies need to be very focused on that too. So if it wants to keep you out of action, then your job is to discover what we have to meet the critics. You have to really meet head on what is actually happening here. If you, if you are being kept out of action, is this an internal belief that you are holding? Is this a realistic objection where there's a, a gap in skill set that needs to be traversed? Or are you dealing with actually, a, a, you know, an actual critic, somebody who's literally stopping you from taking forward action? But unless we are discerning, again, about what is actually in the way, mm. we don't have a fighting chance of moving forward. So getting really clear about what is in the way, mm-hmm. you know, it's not small work, but it's it, you, there. There is no other way. There's no other way through. You have to. You have to really meet the critics here. Mm-hmm. 
And then the second is, if it wants to have you doubt your capacity, then your job is to root into proof positive about all that you have done and healed and delivered and overcome and survived to Mm. be here right now so that you are reminding yourself on a cellular level that this wasn't a fluke, that you are supposed to be here, that not everybody, you know, made a mistake or was just being nice or, or giving you some kind of a handout, you earned your spot. And for every bit of insecurity that you're feeling right here, right now, you felt this hundreds of times, every other time that you were at the precipice of your expansion, you've been here before. And the only difference is you recognize you need to remind yourself that you jumped and discovered that the party was on the other side of the resistance. That's your job. That's a, that's a word that feels like therapy. That feels like therapy right now. Honestly, yeah, right. Oh boy. I can't help but think of my own therapist saying to me, when I go down this rabbit hole of imposter complex of it, what is the story you have committed to telling yourself? And so much of that, you know, relates back to what you're saying about, is there an actual critic in front of you? Is there an actual skill set that you should perhaps work towards and improve upon or Hey, we get in our own way sometimes, sometimes not to invalidate what people are going through. And what is the story that you've told yourself? That's right. That's actually the most, that that to me, it becomes the most, one of the most useful tools that I have in my tool belt, I think, is, mm. you know, when I'm sitting and I'm sitting across from a challenge and I'll discern, is this an inner critic or is this a realistic objection? And mm. it's actually really easy to discern between the two. They sound really compelling. But something mm. like an inner critic might be like, I'm not smart enough to do whatever the thing is, is not the same as I haven't done this before, right? Ah. A realistic objection is something that is mostly logistical in nature. Mm. It has a, you know, what's possible kind of energy, whereas an inner critic has a very contracted, Eeyore-esque kind of why bother kind of energy to it and it's actually <laughs> yeah. you know we, we call it also by the other words called saboteur because it's, it's yes. intended to sabotage you yeah mm-hmm. i don't it's, know if affirmations yeah. are are something that you you incorporate into your daily but have you heard of affirmations oh no this is someone um that i follow on on uh, social media she's a brilliant trauma and resilience expert. And she, she didn't think of this, but she brought it to my attention. And if affirmations are something that don't sit with you, like it's hard to really connect to something that feels so grandiose and out of reach. Could you replace that with a, what if, what if I killed this presentation today? What Mm. if I got that job? What if I got hired because I am qualified to do this? Mm. It seems like it could be a more perhaps gentle approach to someone who is trying to reframe like you've been talking about the self-talk really that you have every single day with yourself. I love, I love that. I love that it is speaking into what is, what, what might be possible. And I think that with, you know, particularly this audience, sometimes the proof is in the pudding. So Mm. one of the things that I do is I, I don't even know why it's called this. I'm not sure where I got this, the naming from, but I have my clients, a lot of my engineer clients, mind you, do 50 stacks. If you have a belief that is a disempowering belief, hmm. what are 50 data points that prove the opposite? Oh, wow. Yeah. 50. Okay. That sounds 50. like a big number. 
It's okay. a big number. It's a great number. Oh, it's such a great number. Uh, <laughs> because it, it, it's, a, it's a big stretch. And listen, if you get to nine, fantastic. Now you have nine things that you can reflect on that actually prove the opposite, that you actually are unstoppable, right? Hmm. Because you did that thing, because you had that feedback, because you jumped and discovered the party was on the other side of the, you know, the resistance. So all of these things that you have already done and healed and delivered and survived, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Every single day. Mm. Uh, and every time you challenge your belief, when you actually say, when you say no and mean it and stick to your no, that's mm. proof, proof positive that you are unstoppable. You know, and I think, you know, you're mentioning about this, this self-talk. I had a conversation just before this interview with an incredibly brilliant, brilliant, brilliant human. Oh my gosh. I mean, what, what this person's done is extraordinary. And what they named for me was a realization through a conversation that not everything that requires a response is their responsibility. Hmm. What? Like, what? That's so huge. That's so huge. Hmm. And so if that's what we, you know, if that's one of the our critics, our internal dialogues, that I have to fix all of the things, hmm. that's not going to give you any space whatsoever. So that's an internal conditioned belief is it the truth right so the so that's actually that's an inner critic yeah so anyway there's a lot there are a lot of different ways of dealing with that but that's it so meeting the critics and then you know bolstering your authority thesis this is really looking at proof positive of all that you've already done that has got you to this point because the mm -hmm. ego wants to want more than it wants to get i'm going to say that again because it's so important that we get this yeah the ego wants to want more than it wants to get Okay, can you break that down a little bit? Wants to want more than it wants to get. What what yeah. exactly does that mean? So it means that the moment we've done a thing, we're already on to the next thing. Ah, we we're never content. Off. We always want more. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Which is, again, it's structural. It's systemic. That's, that's the system that we sit inside of. More, 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 more. It's not always a bad thing, to be certain. But it, for me, it becomes, you know, people glaze over a little bit when we talk about this, you know, looking at your wins and looking at all the things that you've done. And they're sort of like, yeah, 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 yeah. But what else you got? What else you got? Because oh, nobody can sit yeah. inside the celebration and go, hot diggity dog, I did that thing. <laughs> Which makes yeah. it really, really hard when we are facing that next challenge to go, yeah, I've done all of this stuff because yeah. we haven't integrated it because we haven't celebrated it. It's like, you know, Everybody talks about Shavasana at the end of a yoga practice as being the, the most important uh, pose. I mean, I always mm. hated that. I'm like, I just got to get to the shower. I just got to get my <laughs> I just got to get, like, get me out of this place. But that's what the work is, right? It's integrating all the hard work. That's what a celebration actually is. It's like, yeah, okay, I did this thing. So that I have some muscle memory for next time I'm facing the next challenge. I go, yeah, I did that thing. I can do this. Well, I think it also is women there's such a high importance on being humble and it's to a detriment a lot of the time because that, that value of being humble, yeah. that's, that's a virtue yeah. you should have. It then overshadows, like we've been talking about the accomplishments, your qualifications, your skill set, all the work that you've done to get to where you are. Sure. And, you know, and again, I think it's really important that we recognize and, and, and acknowledge that, you know, humility, people pleasing can keep people safe. Yeah, right? mm -hmm. literally safe. 
hypervigilance that can look a lot like perfectionism can keep people safe. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I I think, again, so we need so much more discernment in these conversations, because, you know, talk to any child of an alcoholic, that's like, that is, that's where that hypervigilance, if I can just keep everything perfectly calm, Mm -hmm. then everything's going to be okay. Oh, my goodness. Right? So how we can't then turn around and say, stop being a perfectionist, silly. Like, mm-hmm. that is not bad. Okay, so one of the last things I really want to make sure that we that we touch on, again, because I know that people want some practical pieces that they can work with. So, you know, if it wants to keep you out of action, then your job is to meet the critics. If it wants to have you doubt your capacity, then your job is to root into proof positive and bolster what I call your authority thesis of all of the things you've done. And the third thing, of course, is that if it wants to keep you alone and isolated, like we talked mm. about earlier, your job is to assemble the cast. Make sure that you are surrounded by people that you can have these conversations with and that can also reflect back mm. the truth about who you are and what is available to you. Oh, yes. Yes, that cast of people that you know you can rely on. Mm-hmm. And this can be tricky. You know, again, it's going to be really tricky for lots of different reasons for people to be able to ask for that kind of support. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, again, very, very, very layered stuff. But those will always be the three strategies. If you talk to anybody that you admire and say, okay, how did you overcome imposter complex? It is going to be some combination of any three of those strategies. I guarantee it. Oh, goodness. Tanya, I feel like we should all go on a retreat together and you heal this side of us, <laughs> help us Go with the, the coping strategies on this. But this has been an amazing conversation. We could keep going for much longer, but for any women who are listening to this, they are, you know, really touched by what you're saying here, but they're also ready. They're feeling empowered now to leave the imposter complex behind them. Where can they find some more resources that you've put out to learn more about your work? Yeah. So at tanyagazzo.com, if you go under articles, you're going to see tons and tons of articles I've been writing all these years. You might want to start with one that I wrote not so long ago. Yes, I saw the the article in the New Yorker about imposter syndrome, where I talk a little bit about, you know, there's a bit of a zeitgeist moment where people are like, it's not, you know, let's stop talking about imposter complex, but it's still a problem. You know, it's still a very, very persistent problem. So that's a place I would have you start. Or if you're into quizzes, go to tanygeisler.com slash quiz, and then you can find out what your iconic identity is and what leadership edge that reveals for you. I love it. I love a good quiz. So I'm, I'm typing this into my my browser right now. Tanya Geisler, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. And I can feel how much this is going to empower and embolden someone to want to leave that imposter complex behind. Thank you for your time. My joy. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Sam East. And from all of us at Sweet, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with your social network. You can visit podcast.swe.org to keep up with our episodes and learn more about how the Society of Women Engineers empowers women to achieve their full potential as engineers and leaders.